Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm your host, Jake Milham. And no, it's not Mondays with Max around here right now, but we do have a very, very special guest. Andy McCullough of The Athletic is joining me tonight for a little Q&A session. Andy, how are you doing tonight? I'm well, Jacob. How are you? I'm, I'm doing all right. Doing all right. And so, Andy, I'm, I'm not, not going to lie to you. When I really started following Royals baseball on this side of things, I didn't even realize that you had worked for the Kansas City Star. So just so all of our listeners out there uh, know Andy's full history, um, he's a senior writer over at The Athletic right now covering Major League Baseball. He's also written about baseball at the Los Angeles Times, the Kansas City Star, and the Star Ledger. Um, And formerly of Syracuse University, which I would imagine is not a great place to be this time of year. It's not a great place to be any time of the year. <laughs> I um I had the opportunity to go up to Syracuse one time, and I will never do it again. To be honest, just yeah, I'm cool, not a fan man. of the snow. It's it cool, is. man. Central New York, upstate New York. It's uh, it's cold. Lake effect snow, not ideal. Yep. So we will. Uh, th- they can keep that, but we will keep our uh, midwestern temperamental weather, however you want to describe it. Mm. <laughs> um, Andy, we're, we're just gonna go and jump right in. So. When we were discussing earlier on, hey, you you are covering Major League Baseball on a national scale right now with the Athletic, traveling all over to cover really a, a lot of different stories. But I do want to take the offseason's biggest story and try to tie it back to the Kansas City Royals, um, namely the Twins landing Carlos Correa. Um, and I, I want you to kind of put a little a little bow on that overall move. Like, what does that say about the direction of the Twins? What does it say about Correa in your mind? Um, I mean, the Twins got incredibly lucky uh, that he failed his physical twice. And so he was able to get to a price point that they could win the bidding at. Um, I think, as you saw, with the fact that he signed with two other teams, they he was in a financial stratosphere that was outside of what they felt comfortable with i think their initial final offer was 10 to 85 he signed for 13 350 and then the next deal with the mets was 12 315 uh and then he was able to get to the twins after he um you know there were issues with the second physical because um like so a lot so people have asked right like how did the twins still win the bidding Mm-hmm. right like why you know the Mets offered somewhere in the 150 range over six years the Twins offered six 200 with some ways that it can get to like 275 if there's oh. options and stuff like that uh over 10 years we're four more years beyond oh this. yeah, yeah six yeah. 
6,200 guaranteed. So why did the twins win the bidding? <clears throat> well, if you're the Mets um, and you have issues with the physical and you're not totally sure when they're going to crop up, you can always just wait. You can sign Manny Machado next mm-hmm. year. You can sign Shohei Otani. You know, you can do lots of different things if you're the Mets. If you're the Twins uh, or any team that chooses to spend in the bottom half or, you know, whatever, below the what the bigger market teams spend, uh, how else are you going to access a five to seven win player in free agency unless you do something that is deemed a pretty significant risk. Um, It's kind of the same reason why the twins extended Byron Buxton, even though they kind of know he's only going to play like 90 to hundred games every year. Well, if he ever puts together a full season, he's like a seven or eight win player. And Mm -hmm. you kind of have to like, if you, you have to take risks essentially to maintain control for lack of a better term of those guys through their free agency years and so um i think the twins you know like they played they definitely got lucky in some ways but they also were willing to make a financial commitment that the overwhelming majority of teams who aren't in new york or la or uh, san diego uh (laughs) are not willing to do you know things that the royals or the guardians or you know well the guardians came close enough with Jose Ramirez, even mm-hmm. though that's a below market deal, but you know, none of those teams, the Rays had never given out a $200 million contract. And so the twins were willing to go into that sort of, uh, you know, stratosphere, stratosphere. there it is, you know, and they did it in a way that's kind of risky, but it's the only way to have like access to that kind of player. Yeah, that's fair because you don't, honestly, you really don't see a whole lot of small market teams in general, even outside of the AL central making a move like this, like, like you were talking about. Yeah. It's why, it's why the Rays signed Wander Franco to like a 13 year, $180 million deal, mm-hmm. right. When he's played, you know, like one season, yeah. um, because like, look, if the guy's willing to take it, like any there, there's no, like, I can understand, you know, the argument of like, he should go to free agency or whatever, and he'll probably make more, but also like he never has to worry about money ever again in his life. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, move a lot but the reason why the Rays are willing to do that which does have some risk for them even though it's I'm sure it'll work out uh in the same way with the um the Mariners with Julio Rodriguez is like this is how you have this is how you maintain those players because otherwise they're going to go to the market and the Yankees or the Mets or whomever you know if the Cubs ever decide to start spending again the Padres you know the Dodgers if they can ever you know decide they don't care about the luxury tax like they're going to win the bidding so you got to have to just do risky sort of things but you also have to have players who are willing to you know like take that take the comfort over the uh, sort of lost eventual salary if that makes sense yeah no that that makes perfect sense and also one thing that really did stand out to me I am um, by trade, I would describe myself more of a football guy. So I looked at that deal and I looked at AAV, um, the the annual value of the deal. And if you do the math, the Twins deal breaks down to a higher AAV if I'm if I'm looking at the numbers correctly. So, and I don't, I mean, it's not like he's going to hit free agency and get another big deal. Um, even. I don't know, Andy. Do, do you think so? He would. He signed through age thirty-three. For me, Correa is like a top ten player in the sport. So, like, I and the, and the Twins have team options that 
uh, if he plays well through the deal, will will kick in beyond uh, year six. So like this is probably his big payday. Um, okay, but I I think Correa is a really really good player. Um, like top ten in the sports, I said, and so um, yeah, I I think that I I I don't foresee him making a ton more money beyond this, but I also wouldn't wouldn't want to cap his future earnings. I guess. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Um. Now let's tie this back to the Royals a little bit here. So we're talking about the lack of big moves made by small market teams, but that is to a T describing like how the Kansas City Royals have operated over their franchise history, really. Um, so if you if you had to explain to a normal Kansas City Royals fan, how would you say or how would you explain how, why the team does not make those sort of moves, why they don't make the big moves like the Twins? Well, I mean, I, I do want to say the Twins don't have, aren't exactly like – like the Twins haven't been doing this for a while. They've had some limited uh, engagement in these type of contracts. The Twins right. spent years bemoaning the Joe Maurer deal. Um, you know, the, the Twins are not like – yeah, I mean, they're, 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 look, Minnesota, Minneapolis is the Twin Cities. It's a bigger market. You know, there's better TV, all that stuff. Um, so, like, there are certain financial advantages or whatever they have. But, like, I wouldn't exactly say, like, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how many times there have been moments where, like, like, what, like, is the argument should, the Royals should have signed Carlos Correa? I guess. No, that's that. That's not the argument itself. Yeah. But when you let's let's just imagine that a Royals fan doesn't have any memory beyond the end of last season, and you see and you see a fellow. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and you see a fellow quote unquote small market team, and they're going out and they're signing signing a top ten player in Major League Baseball for two hundred million dollars with even more financial commitments beyond that possibly. So, if and if, if you break down the numbers, a lot of the Twins, I guess, income is how you would say it, is very similar to the Royals. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Royals have a really low payroll right now. So there's this there's this grouping of fans that think like, okay, well, the Twins can do this. They obviously have the money for this. And we could, you know, why aren't we making plays for top-of-the-line starting pitchers or mm-hmm. – difference making corner outfielders something along those lines does that make sense Andy yeah I mean the ownership group has decided that that's not how they want to spend yeah like I mean that's simple enough right simple as that right yeah like (laughs) you know the ownership Um, group has determined that that's not how they want to uh you know try and build a winner um which I think obviously, you know, spending money doesn't exactly correlate with winning, but it gives you a better shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, It makes it easier. Um, But they have determined that given the size of their market, you know, uh, some of the constraints that they feel they have because of, you know, TV and all that stuff that they don't want to spend in that. And, and if you look at it on a per dollar basis, right. um, Like these contracts are very inefficient. And they come with risk and maybe they prevent you from doing something else. I think the complaint with the Royals is like, they're not doing much. Well, I mean, they're doing some things, but they're not, they're not doing things that feel like uh, game changers per se. Mm -hmm. Um, They're in a weird spot in that they are 
not really close to being able to say they're like one or two players away. Yeah. But you kind of like, if you say that year after year after year, um, kind of gets stuck. So they're kind of transitioning into something of a new era and, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just <clears throat> like, like who's a player they should have signed this off season. But that's the, that's the thing you're, you're saying that they're not one or two players away. And I, I would have to agree with that. Would, you know, would, let's see, I'm trying to think of one of the big free agent pitchers that would have actually been around for the next Royals contending window. Like that's the, that's another thing to take into consideration. So like Chris Bassett, right? Yeah. Like a, you give maybe. Chris Bassett a five-year deal. Yeah. Right. So you get him to, you know, okay, well, you got to give up a draft pick, which they don't want to do. Right. Uh, you know, you are tying up a big chunk of salary. Um, you are uh, locking yourself into half a decade with a guy who's like a number three, number four starter. Fair enough. Fair like, enough. I'm not like, I, yeah, I don't want to like, look, <laughs> every time I talk about this stuff, I like, I, I get like, some people are like, you're like, you're anti-labor. The owner should spend. Yeah. Duh. Like, yeah, the owner should <laughs> like, they've chosen not to like. And it's, it's their money at the end of the day. And, right. And you can make arguments for why these contracts are inefficient for why, you know, you can make an argument for why giving Jacob to Grom who's thrown like, in 26 starts in the past two years, it might be kind of crazy to give him $185 million over five years when he's 34 years old and tends to get hurt. But the Rangers have Jacob deGrom. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, that's yep, the, they got him, you know, that's how it works. So uh, that's what I was talking about with the taking risk earlier in the process, you know, like, like, I don't know what the contours of a theoretical Bobby Witt Jr. Extension would mm-hmm. look like. I think it'd be kind of really hard to put together because if you look at like his actual concrete present value versus what his long-term value is, there's probably a pretty significant gap between, you know, wits representatives and what the Royals think of him. But like, that's the sort you'd have to be thinking about making that deal like right now in order to really think about having him into his early thirties. And I think a move like that would placate those, those fans asking why the ownership group is not, is not spending because does it does it really matter if they're spending to keep high quality talent in house instead of trying to go out and you know gamble on a on a free agent? Mm-hmm. So, right. yeah, I mean, it definitely it definitely would probably placate fans if they gave you know let's just let's use the Wander Franco deal yeah as a as a comp if they did you know thirteen years one hundred and seventy five million but Bobby Wood has to accept that which like mm-hmm. he might not. And I'm not, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not privy to any, you know, discussions there may or may not be happening, but like right. you have to have both sides, you know, and it's just, it doesn't always work that way. It, do, it does take two to tango. And I've, I don't know who to attribute it to. So I do apologize, but I heard um, the term bad team tax. Do, uh-huh. do you believe in that? Like to get in a good high quality free agent or extend a guy, do bad teams pay a, pay an extra tax in your opinion? I think it just depends. I mean, often, you know, yeah, the way, I mean, the way to win the bidding almost always is to offer the most money mm-hmm. um, or be in a state that doesn't have an income tax. Uh, mm, so the, the Royals do not play in California. So that helps them <laughs> um, or New York. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the, yeah, it, you tend to have to overpay a little bit, but there's also like, you have to pay a tax to get guys to forego free agency. You know, you may have to pay, you know, it's just, 
the end of the day, you have to offer the most money. Okay. And that's, that's what it boils down to. Yeah. Jacob Milham here with Andy McCullough. We are going to take a quick ad break. And we are back on Royals Review Radio. Jake Milham here with Andy McCullough of The Athletic. Um, Andy, we just got done talking about, you know, some – I'm not a numbers cruncher in, in my head, man. I, I kind of limit it to what, what fan graphs and baseball reference will, will tell me, and I'll try to connect the dots from there. So let's, uh, let, let's take a little bit of a, of a mental break. I want to hear more about your work at The Athletic. Like, how is it during this time of year? This is like the quieter period. Um, the winter took a bit longer than normal just because the Correa saga went on mm. for like a full month. Um, normally it's fairly quiet from like, uh, you know, like Christmas to the Super Bowl. Uh, and this year it was kind of quiet from like, you know, the second week of like the first or second week of January to the, you know, probably to the Super Bowl. But then after the Super Bowl, spring training starts, I think that that week. So, um, yeah, it cranks up pretty quick. So this is a little bit, a couple of weeks sort of lull, um, which is okay. nice to, cause this was a pretty busy off season. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of news happening. So, um, didn't have a ton of downtime, but that's good. You know, people, you know, it, it gives people a reason to come to the site and gives us stories to write and all that stuff. So it's been, uh, it was good. Yeah. Well, that's, that's true. And I do want to, I want to pick your brain about that a little bit. So um, the athletics Royals beat writer, Alec Lewis, really an, did amazing work for, for the fan base, for the site. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I haven't heard a, a bad word about his work. Um, but I do want to ask about the more personal side of baseball stories that, that you get to write. Like how, how does being at the athletic enable you to write those sort of stories? Um, Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've done that wherever I've gone, to be honest. Okay. But uh, why, I, why, know, is that, why is that important? It's a good though? site. <laughs> it's a good site that, uh, you know, allows me to work on stuff I want. Um, what do you mean? Like, what, why is what important? So there's, if you, you, you can go out to one of the hundreds of baseball blogs out there and they can, they can punch out articles, talk about the stats and, yeah. and wins above replacement and things like that. But the, the people that set themselves apart talk about the actual players as people, not just stat lines. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's just it's just getting to know uh, the various sort of like characters on the team that you're covering or, you know, if it's sport wide, it's just sort of trying to um, let, you know, readers, fans know kind of who they are to an extent. Um, also, you know, explain how decisions that the individuals have made have, you know, bigger impacts on the actual team um you know trying to pass along you know convey 
when, you know, when I was a beat writer, I always thought it was really important to try and like convey the, you know, the dynamics of the team and what mm-hmm. the clubhouse environment was like and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so I think that is one of the things that Major League Baseball does a really good job with is we have a ton of access. We have more access okay. to the actual players than any other sport. Um, that's really why I like covering baseball. Uh, it's just you get a chance to talk to these people and form relationships with them and, um, you know, make it so that, uh when there is times of like major news happening you know the people involved you know know who you are you know who they are and you can you know sort of uh work through those situations in a way that is beneficial to the reader because you have the context of understanding the situation and also the subjects understand who you are and are maybe more willing to you know be candid or whatever but mm-hmm. um i think it's just yeah it's just forming relationships and then through those relationships being able to provide you know information to readers that they didn't know about i think okay at the end of the day sounds like a sounds like a pretty good job it beats I'm- working for a living <laughs> fair enough fair enough speaking of uh where where you were working um you know you were how long were you in kansas city for just two years just two uh, years 14 14 and 15 yep i was about to say you were you were here for two pretty good years then huh i had very good timing yeah i was very very lucky to uh team was team was really fun when i was there obviously uh they won a lot you know especially that team in 15 was was mm-hmm. a really really good baseball team and so um yeah it was a really uh charmed time professionally for me um and i yeah i had a <laughs> i had a good time i had a good time being around that group and i i imagine that you know fans had a good time watching them oh yeah of course of course i, I do have to ask what is one of your favorite behind the scenes moments during those years with the royals <laughs> uh oof, yeah i don't know there's some that <laughs> there's yeah there's one funny like really funny story that i just i don't yeah i shouldn't have said that um (laughs) now everyone's gonna wonder what it is (laughs) yeah i mean there's a lot of fun the thing is is just on a day-to-day basis and especially being in a market like kansas city where you know both years there's really only you know two or three people with the team every day you know it would be like you know the first year was me and dick cagle um, from MLB.com, you know, mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Flanagan was around. And then the next year it was me and Flanny and uh, Matt DeFranks uh, from, it was, it was a Fox at the time, you know, Josh Vernier was there Oh yeah, um, every day, but it was really just like three or four people, you know? Um, and so because of that, you are just able to form like more, the players just know who you are in a way okay. that in bigger markets where there's like 10 to 15 beat writers, it's more of like a pack. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, like post, there'd be tons of post games where it would just be like me and Flanny doing an interview. <laughs> and like that actually made it a lot easier for the player to just sort of talk to us and explain, because it didn't, it didn't have to be like a big sort of inquisition. It'd just be like, Hey, like what happened on that play in the seventh? And the player could explain what it was. You'd be like, Oh, okay. Well, why didn't this happen? Like, here's why it didn't happen. Okay, great. We can go tell, you know, the readers like why that was. Um, Sounds like, sounds very transparent. Yeah. I mean, I just think, I think it was, you know, uh, uh, you know, Swanee, the Mike Swanson, the longtime VP of communications did a really good job of explaining to the players why we were there. And I think, you know, you had, uh, you know, a fairly like productive working relationship. It helped that the team was winning. It was a lot tougher at times in 2014 
when the team was not as good. There was, there was a bunch of, you know, I've written like, so like too much about me and Ned. Um, <laughs> you know, you can just Google my name and Ned's name. And there's like, there's way too many stories about just how ridiculous he was on a day-to-day basis, but very entertaining. I remember like <clears throat> one time, like we were in a champagne celebration and I was like interviewing Wade Davis and he just like took his beer and just dumped it on my head. And I was like, wait, <laughs> like, what the f- like wh- why? And he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, man. You're here every day. And I'm like, dude, no, like, thank you. I guess. But like, don't do that. And he was like, Oh, my bad. <laughs> like, he was like, he was like, Oh, I just figured, you know, you want to be a part of it. I'm like, no, uh-huh. So it, it was a, yeah, it was a fun, it was a fun ride. And, <clears throat> you know, so when I see guys from those teams now, you know, whether they're still playing or, you know, stopped playing, you know, or in different roles, like Chris Young is the GM of the Rangers and, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, I still see Mike Moustakis, uh, you know, or Eric Hosmer or, you know, Lorenzo Cain before he retired. Like, I just, you know, you have a, you know, you just have a, uh, just a, a connection with them that uh, I, uh, my presence remind them of, of, of when uh, times were really good with the Royals. Oh. I guess. So, so, you know, after, yeah, so it was fun. It was, it was a fun okay. time. All right. Well, Hey, that, that's all that matters. Like you said, it sure beats working, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, last, I do have one more question about the beat. Um, you know, trying to make it in sports media right now, not, not super easy for, for some folks, but I do want to ask how important are beat writers in today's sports coverage world? Like, are they as, are they as needed as they once were? Yeah, they're essential. Yeah. Yeah, You think so? Like, yes. Like, yeah. How else would you get information about the team? Well, I mean. From from the team, that's how that's how fans are getting like it right how, now for the most part. <laughs> to an extent, I mean, like, but if you're not like, if you want to know about what's going on with the Royals, like, you have to read the Star. Yeah, that's true. Or you got, you got to read them. Yep, that's yeah, the that's know, what we got right they, now. We, they cover the team, so yeah. like, I, I think like, <clears throat> very often there's a, uh, um, I think Twitter's made it worse, uh, and it's sort of made the relationship seem more convoluted than it is as if like like reporters like we work for the public okay so like we write stories you know to like provide information to Mm -hmm. the public and so like like you guys wouldn't know what was going on if there weren't reporters like the team doesn't want you to know what's going on like, you know what I mean? Like the team doesn't like want you to know like unflattering things about yeah. them. The team wants you to <clears throat> buy their merch, buy tickets, watch their games, like give them money. That's the relationship that almost all teams have with the public is you are a source of revenue. Okay. And what we do is like, we tell you positive stories, negative stories, you know, flattering, unflattering, whatever, like whether it's a, you know, like a story explaining, you know, like problems in a player development system or a story, you know, explaining like why Bobby Witt Jr. is a future superstar. Like that's some, that's for the public, you know, so you guys know more about the product. Um, And I think there's a there's a perception, you know, that like reporters are negative or reporters are, you know, too cozy with the team or it's just like and I think sometimes it's like not as complicated as that. Okay. 
Well, um, I mean, what do you do? You think the B writers are non-essential? No, no. I I personally yeah. think think they are. I'm right. just I'm just asking that in the in the um what just looking at the Royals beat writer yeah. sphere right now. It is. I'm I'm not saying that the star isn't going to add someone back to replace Lynn Worthy, but right now it is looking like the Royals are going to enter spring training with just Ann Rogers of MLB.com. Yeah, I mean, I would. The star will hire a beat writer. I, I, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't have any inside knowledge of that. Uh, <laughs> but like, the star is going to hire a beat writer. They will have someone covering the team. Like, there you go. You know, so uh, I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe I'll get an angry call from like Jeff Rosen, my former boss there. But like, I would. It just, yeah. Like, <clears throat> just yes. As of right now, because Lynn left at a weird time in the year, there isn't someone hired but like they're going to have someone covering the team yeah because like they're the new they're the newspaper of record in kansas city Mm -hmm. like they will have someone covering the team um yeah and i i I do think people underestimate how important the star is to the to the kansas city area for sure i mean yeah like it's the it's the newspaper of record of of the city and it's still a great sports section there's still a ton of talented people there you know Mm -hmm. sam mcdowell vahe gregorian Blair Kirkhoff, you know, Pete Grathoff, like still a lot of people who I worked with who I, you know, consider friends and have so much respect for. And I think like, you know, if you like care about the Royals and want to know what's going on with them, like you have to read the star. There you go. It's so I will say this, the Kansas City Royals fan base has been a little short sighted at times this offseason. And that's just because we're, we're we're wanting wins, man. And so that uh, is starting. understandable. No, like yeah. I like I, like I don't mean to. Uh, I I hope if people were listening to the beginning of this and maybe get to the end without throwing their phone against the wall or whatever, <laughs> like I'm not saying that the way the Royals have conducted their offseason is like the exact way they should have, right? Yeah. But like they have you know so one of the things that they are really trying to transition into doing is they're they want to build a pipeline of pitching similar to what the guardians have similar to what the rays have they want to have a player development assembly line that is has more success than the one that they've had i mean there's just no way to argue that they've been super successful with no not not at all i mean there's just none you know and and that's you know so they tasked JJ Piccolo with essentially trying to build that. And you see in some of the people who they have hired, um, you know, where the, the organizations are clearly like trying to model themselves after. I mean, John right. Sherman is a former, uh, you know, minority investor in the Guardians. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's obviously like you can look at it, you know, however many times a year you can see what the pipeline should look like. <clears throat> um you know, hiring Macotaro, who had worked both with the Rays and the Guardians. Yeah. Um, you know, bringing over what was the guy's name, the bullpen coach from um, Sweeney. Sweeney, yeah. He uh, he played with you, Darvish, in Japan. Really? Uh, which, I, yeah, I once talked to him about that. Yeah. Yeah. You, huh. Darvish, taught him how to throw a curveball. And he said, uh, <laughs> okay. And I and I said, well, he, he said the way Darvish instructed him was throw it like an American football, and. Hmm. Uh, and I was like, did Darvish throw a lot of footballs? And he goes, no, he just had a mind for throwing things, which is like one of the best quotes I've ever heard about a pitcher. He had a mind for throwing a mind anyway. for throwing things. Okay. All right. So Sweeney's a guy, right. Who spent a lot of time in the guardian system, um, yeah. you know, and so they're trying to assemble this 
pipeline. I think what what Royals officials have always sort of gotten, what they always get irritated about when they are compared to those clubs is that they feel like they really like by going all in in 16 and 17 yeah by not trading away Hosmer not trading away Mustakas, not trading away Kane not trading away Perez not letting Gordon go they did something that those teams don't do generally okay. um that's a good you know, point. The Guardians, the Guardians traded Lindor, for example. You know, the Rays have made James Shields, David Price, Blake Snell. That's what they do, right? Yeah. Frank, you know, that's that's what they do. And, uh, you know, what they have argued is that they took a really good run at it in a way that those teams didn't. And, you know, they flipped, they gambled and lost, basically. Yep. And, they, and I understand that, um, I think when my counter has been, well, the gamble was not executed correctly. You know, some of the free agents they signed, you know, like the Ian Kennedy contract comes to mind. Ooh, is yeah. being like, what do you, what do we, you know, what are you guys doing here? Yeah. Um, but that left them doing that, you know, signing Gordon, uh, deciding to extend Perez because they felt the contract that he had previously agreed to was like unfair to him, which I think is a very, you know, in some ways it's a pretty noble thing to do, right? It's a noble thing to like, be like, Hey, we're exploiting this guy. Like, let's change this. Right. But what that did is that removed dollars from the pile that they theoretically could have used for Hosmer long-term Kane long-term, et cetera. Now you could argue also argue like, well, maybe that maybe letting those guys go, maybe letting Hosmer go, maybe letting Kane go wasn't the worst idea. Right. Cause um, the issue is that, while they did go all in, their drafting and developing just wasn't as strong. Yeah. They weren't – the pipeline kind of stopped after a while. And so, yes, like they did go for it in a way that the Guardians and the Rays haven't. But the Guardians and the Rays have been able to trade their guys because the, the pipeline keeps putting people together or putting people gotcha. in the big leagues. And that's what they're trying to do now. And, like, we'll see. Like, I, you know, we'll see if it works. It, so, it, it, anyway. It'll take a couple of years at least, right? I guess, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's I guess. a pipeline. It takes time to get from point A to point B. I think the problem is that they have already invested a lot of high draft picks mm. and time in guys who, you know, outside of Singer on the pitching side, right? Yeah. There's not – none of those guys feel like genuine mid-rotation big leaguers. No, no. On the hitting side, uh, it's like, you know, Wit is so young, like it's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, but like. Give him time. Yeah, you know, he, he's going to get some time, but then you're talking about, you know. Like, like Vinny Pasquantino and MJ Melendez, all all those guys, they're they're still very young and they're, I wouldn't say prolific hitters, but they are, they're trending in the right direction if you, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, they, I, I mean, they both had reason to feel good about how they performed moving forward but also yeah. like hitting's very hard yeah and it, it could is. also it's not, easy. not be good you know you're not like we're not talking about like mookie Betts and freddie freeman i think in terms of like certainty yeah. and that's, that's and that's the issue with a lot of this is just that it, you're just not totally sure what you're going to be getting so fair enough um, yeah well, let's uh, let, let's talk a little bit more about the uncertain as we uh, as we get to the end of the podcast so uh, last week, MLB.com did write up an article ranking 
teams that could go from last place to first place in their respective mm-hmm. division. And I was pretty surprised to read that the Royals were on top of that um, that mm-hmm. list. Now I know that the AL Central isn't isn't looking too great right now, but <laughs> right, right, right. is that a do you put any stock in that, or is that just the fact that the AL Central is pretty mediocre overall? Well, it is. It's mostly the AL Central, but like yeah. if you squint, you can <laughs> see, like you know. So Singer's Singer was pretty good last year. Yeah, Lynch, Bubich. You know, Heasley, like these are guys who were drafted high enough that, you know, they have tools, mm-hmm. um, you know, Wit, uh, Pascantino, Melendez, you know, maybe you finally get something out of Adalberto Mondesi. Maybe. Like, you, you, there's a lot of like guys with tools or with talent or who were sort of considered top prospects at some point um, that you can squint and see it um and i think maybe that's what's frustrating for royals fans is like yeah is you is i think they've been squinting for quite some time oh, yeah for you sure know? and that that's eye strain that hurts it that it, hurts, it does it hurts your eyes it gives me a headache after a while man i know yeah <laughs> yeah um so it's just it's um i think it's mostly just a commentary on the tigers aren't very good um you know the the guardians are probably going to be okay. You yeah. Know, but the twins are like an 85, 86 win team. The guardians are like a 92 to 93, 94 win team. Um, you know, so I, okay. we'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we can make all the predictions we want right now, but we actually got to wait for, you know, September to see what, uh, what actually happens, you know? Yeah, Exactly. So, Andy, I'm not going to keep you too much more, but one of my favorite traditions of having new people on the podcast is asking um, about their ballpark order, man. You uh, and you're pretty well traveled. I'm sure you've gone to a lot of ballparks, but if you are if you're going to any MLB ballpark out there, what are you ordering? Uh, so which of all 30? I get to pick one of the yeah. 30. Yeah, one, one of the 30. Uh, there's a good turkey sandwich at the. Um... It's uh, whatever they call the Giants Park now. I'm trying oh, yeah? to think. Yeah, I mean, I don't eat a lot of ballpark food. It's not pretty really good for you. okay. It's well, just it's, it's not. It's not. Yeah, I I tend to bring my lunch. Okay. Uh, or my dinner. Um, there's a very good turkey sandwich. Uh, I don't think I've ever had concessions at Kaufman. I don't think really? I ever did. No, because they had a good cafeteria. They had a good media dining. Oh, um, gotcha. John, the guy who ran media dining, did a good job. Um. Man, so, so you're not a, not a hot dog guy, not a pretzel guy, nothing like that? No, I mean, I like those things. You just can't, dude, you can't eat those every day. No, no, you, no you, you can't. I'm not I'm not advocating for uh, for a two hot dog a day diet. Oh, I'll, uh, yeah, my doctor will call me later on tonight. Yeah, that would feel good. I would enjoy that uh, for like the week that I had left. <laughs> that would have been nice. That would have been nice. Well, Andy, um, I really do appreciate you you coming on the show tonight. Uh <laughs> And I hope this lull does not last as uh, as long as it will. Um, if folks wanted to find you and your work, where could they go to on social media? Uh, just, I don't know. What is my thing? Buy McCullough on Twitter. And uh, you can just go subscribe to The Athletic. It's a good site. If you like sports, you'll find something you like on there. I think the tagline for the athletic should be subscribe, you freaking heathens, or something like that. You know, <laughs> hey, we'll take we'll take all those subscriptions we can get. Yeah, it's a good site. We got Ken Rosenthal. It's nice. 
Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Um, I, I, I'm going to plug it. I have to, I have to say it. I did really enjoy reading your article on uh, baseball coming to Nashville. I thought oh, that yeah, was, yeah. that was a really good behind the scenes look into it. Um, so please go, go check that out. If you click on Andy's name on the athletic, it'll pop up with all, all of his articles and it makes it nice and easy. Um, Andy, I know this is, this might be the last time for a while you're on a Royals related product. Any last words, man? No, uh, but thank you for having me. Well, thank you very much for coming on. And to all of our listeners out there, please go follow Royals Review on Twitter and on Facebook and check out RoyalsReview.com. And until next time, thank you for listening. And go Royals! <laughs>